I was in Orlando with Sherry this past week at our denominational family gathering that meets every other year. And it was great. We had some nice meals with the friends, had some great worship and prayer times, heard some uh, missional preaching, and uh, it, was a, it was a good, healthy three days for us. At the same time we were meeting, there was another group having their convention uh, in the same complex. It was at the Marriott World Center uh, down in Orlando, and um, Sherry made the observation that this other group, whatever it was that they were doing, and whatever cause they were rallying around, they were a whole lot more physically fit than we were. Um, we averaged about that wide. They averaged about that wide. Uh, we waddled. Uh, they just about sprinted. Um, uh, we looked a little frumpy, and they had their tights and uh, uh, muscle shirts and everything. I mean, they looked sharp. And to come to find out, it was a, a group, uh, their brand is Prove It, and they sell uh, health nutrition supplements. I did some research, and um, uh, it seems like a good group. I'm not here making a commercial for them, but, but I, I enjoyed riding the elevator with these people and just striking up a conversation. And I'm a fast walker, so I could keep up with them, uh, and their meeting was before our meeting. Uh, their meeting was smaller than our meeting, but boy, what they lacked in size, they made up for in enthusiasm. They were so zealous for their product. And uh, wherever we went, uh, Sherry got a kick out of it. I spent more time talking with their people than I did our people because I found them so engaging. And I, and I said, you guys are good advertisements for your product. And they said, yeah, and then they tell me their story. Yeah, we lost 40 pounds, and, and uh, anyway, it's been life-changing. I mean, everything you want to hear from because we're following Christ, they were saying because of their nutritional uh, supplement that they're using. I mean, that, that's a thin slice of their lives, and yet Christ is everything to, in our lives. And, but the, the name of their supplement hit me. Prove it. Prove it. Prove it. I, I've always reacted to that demand. Prove it. I mean, I'm one that has always elevated faith. And faith, you know, even Jesus at times rebuked people for asking for signs for the wrong reason. But this morning we come to a significant text of Scripture that is God's answer to prove it. So I want you to turn with me, please, to Acts chapter 2, verses 32 and 33. Prove it. Prove it. Prove it. Jesus said it's the adulterous generation that asked for a sign. 
He even said to Thomas, who said to him, basically, if it's really you, Lord, prove it. I want to see your wounds. Let me touch your hands and your side. Thomas said, prove it. And Jesus acquiesced and, and agreed that he would prove it. Then he did say, blessed are you, Thomas, because you believe because you've seen, but blessed are those who believe without seeing. So there is a tension here, and yet what we all need to realize is that our God does not mind it when people say, prove it. Our God did prove it. Just think of the cross. God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He proved it. He didn't just say, I love you. He did prove it. So there there is nothing wrong with a prove it somewhere in God's economy. Now watch this. Acts chapter 2, verses 32 and 33. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. So he proved it. He he didn't just let people, he didn't just let the empty tomb speak for itself. He appeared at least 14 times to prove that he had been raised from the dead. And here Peter's saying, of which we are all witnesses of the proof of his bodily resurrection. But then listen to this verse 33. Being therefore exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Seeing and hearing is Prove it. God not only poured out His Spirit, He proved that He poured out His Spirit. And Peter, when he preached, he quotes three texts of Scripture. He quoted Joel chapter 2, pointing to and explaining the Holy Spirit. He quotes Psalm 16, validating the resurrection. And then he points to and quotes Psalm 110, verse 1, affirming the ascension. Three texts, three critical moments in the expression of God proving it in our world. First, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He proved it. A second, the resurrection. He proved it. And the third is the ascension. And the proof of the ascension of what happened when Jesus ascended is what then happened on earth. And again, let me quote this scripture. It's verse 33. Being therefore exalted to the right hand of God. This is the ascension. This is Christ at the right hand of God. 
And now follow this. And having, so he's now at the right hand. It's there at the right hand, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. This is one of the great Trinitarian texts of Scripture. This may actually be uh, one of the top Trinitarian Scriptures because what happened when Jesus got there is just as true today as it was on that day. And what, what, is, what is just as true today? Now follow this. Jesus is just as much seated at the right hand of God the Father today as he was the day he first ascended. But that's not all. Jesus is today receiving from the Father the Holy Spirit just as much as he was when he first ascended. And third... Just as when Jesus received the Holy Spirit, he poured out the Holy Spirit on the church, he is doing that just as much today as he did on that first Pentecost Sunday. This is why, as a church, we don't have to wait till next Sunday to celebrate Pentecost. 2019, Pentecost Sunday, is June 9. Today is June 10, and here we are celebrating just as valid as if we waited a week. Why? Because Christ is still seated at the right hand. He is still receiving from the Father the Holy Spirit, and He's still pouring out what he freely received from the Father, he's freely giving to the church. And just as on that first Pentecost, the pastor, Peter, could stand up and tell everybody around, what you see and hear here is what's happening there. I ought to be able to say to all the people living around us, you want to see what's going on there? Come to church. What's happening here, what you will see here is a picture of what's happening there. What you hear here is what's being heard there. That's what Peter said. And this is not the only place this appears in Scripture. I want to show you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 24 and 25, it says this. Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, takes this matter of what happened at Pentecost and applies it to any church, any Sunday, any day, there's a gathering of believers. The same thing applies that applied when Peter stood up and said, what you see in here is what's going on there. Now watch this. Here's the text. But if all prophesied 
and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he's convicted by all, he's called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. What is that? God is really among you. That's the church. That is the conspicuous, tangible evidence that proves the fact that we are church, that God is here among us. And so while Peter was preaching that on Pentecost, he was the first of thousands and thousands and millions of pastors who would follow him, who can point to their congregation and say, this on earth is an evidence of what's happening in heaven. And it happens by the Holy Spirit. No, I want us to hear people around us saying, prove it. Prove it. We're not selling nutritional supplements. Maybe some of us are. God bless you for that. We can all use whatever help you can give us. But we have Christ, the greatest nutritional supplement ever offered. No. We say, prove it. You know what those around us would say today? They'd say, there's not a single religion that can survive the two words, prove it. I beg to differ. Don't you? What are we witnesses to? Our lives, our collective gathering, everything about us is to witness to the fact that there is a living God who is good and entirely redemptive and can make something beautiful out of a mess like me. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. No, I'll, I'll take that challenge. I'll submit to that challenge. I, for one, stand before you and can say to our neighbors, I will prove it by the grace of God. I'll at least give you evidence. I can't give your heart faith, but I can marshal evidence. And I, I can clearly say on behalf of our collective family, that the reason we are a church in Lilburn is to prove it. We are not just here to, to feed ourselves, to, to receive comfort and benefit. We are here to prove it. Hallelujah. Now I want to exhort us this morning, don't talk, act. Don't say, show. Don't promise, prove. And I invite you today to help me prove it. 
I want you to take the challenge. Pastor, I, I accept the challenge. As for me and my house, by the grace of God, we will prove it. We will live in such a way to demonstrate by our behavior, by our conversation, by the way we interact with people on any and every level, we will marshal evidence that there is a Redeemer. Who's with me this morning? Hallelujah. 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 Doesn't it help to see it in Scripture? The uniqueness of the first message, Christian message recorded in Acts chapter 2 is that even though it quotes three Old Testament scriptures, the real basis of the whole sermon was the proof there it was what God was doing among them. It was the manifestation of the Spirit of God as revealed to God's people and the, the sign of that preached the message. It gave the context so that at the culmination of his sermon, Peter could say to them, what you are seeing and hearing. That's what we're talking about here. What you yourselves are seeing and hearing. No, church, I call us today to be the people who will show a cynical community just what only Christ can do in a life, in a family, in a gathering of God's people. And it's all by the Holy Spirit. You can't do it, I can't do it, but God can do it. The same Holy Spirit that came and did it at the first, on the outset, in the early church in Jerusalem, he's the same Holy Spirit today, and he's here to do it. Now this morning, with this as our backdrop, I want to very quickly present us with an understanding of the Holy Spirit. If you are going to be part of the marshalling of evidence that there is a supernatural God who works in the middle of everyday lives, it's only going to happen by the Holy Spirit. And the only way it's going to happen is if you trust the Holy Spirit. And if you don't trust him, you're not going to give him control. It, it, okay. The greatest issue facing the pre-Christians around us is knowing Christ. I think we'd all agree with that. There's no other issue. It's not ultimately who are you going to vote for. It's who, who, what do you know about Jesus? Can I help you know Jesus? That's the issue. Now listen carefully. For those of us inside who do know Jesus, the greatest issue is who is the Holy Spirit? For those outside, it's who is Christ. But for those of us inside, the issue is who is the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit is the one who exalts Christ, who makes him known, 
to us. And the only hope of making him known through us is the Holy Spirit. So very quickly, I want to give us an understanding of the Holy Spirit. And there's seven points, and I'd encourage you, whether you write them down, but they are memorable. Number one, the Holy Spirit is a person. He's just as much a person as the one sitting next to you. He's just as much a person as God the Father and God the Son. I, <clears throat> I lay this one out first because this is the one that causes the most misunderstanding about the Holy Spirit. Most people see the Holy Spirit like an energy field. Uh, the force be with you. The Holy Spirit be with you. Or like electricity. You know, we have to be plugged in to the Holy Spirit. There's no power apart if you get disconnected. All those are good illustrations. But they all miss the fact that the Holy Spirit is not an energy field. He is a force, but he is a person. The only way for you to get to know the Holy Spirit is to understand he is a person. Now, frankly, the scriptures don't help us a whole lot because the images that are used in the Bible to describe the Holy Spirit, he's referred to as wind. Well, wind's not a person. He's oil. Oil's not a person. He's water. He's a dove. But even a dove isn't a person. So all those a little bit can confuse us into thinking he's just power. But let me say, watch this. The Holy Spirit has a will. He gives gifts to those he wills. He has a mind. There's the mind of the Spirit, the Bible says. He gives gifts. They're the gifts of the Holy Spirit, like as a person does. He has feelings. You can grieve the Holy Spirit, or there's also, the Bible refers to the joy of the Holy Spirit. So the reason we call him a person is because he is. He has a will, he gives gifts, he, he has, has a mind, he has feelings, and in the Greek language, all nouns are masculine, feminine, or neuter. The noun translated spirit is pneuma, P-N-E-U-M-A, pneuma, pneuma, and it's a neuter noun. But the pronoun in Scripture that's always used to refer to the Holy Spirit, it's never it, which would be the neuter pronoun. It's always he, which is a departure from uh, the language, but it's an intentional departure because an it is an object, not a person. He's not an it. He is a he. Does that make sense? And you can follow that through Scripture. He, 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 he. It's always he, even though it doesn't naturally correspond with the noun, but it's because he's a person. Even in our vernacular, sometimes when we talk, we talk about the Holy Spirit as an it. We should never do that. Correct yourself. If it comes out, correct it. I'm, I'm, I, what I mean is he. I meant to say he. It's not an it. Number one. Number two, 
He's God. He is just as much God as God the Father and God the Son. He's fully God. He is called the Spirit of God. He doesn't take a third place to the Father and the Son. He's not a tag-along. He's not just an energy field. He's not the, the latest mode of God. No. God doesn't go in modes. There is one true God. He is person. Person of the Father, person of the Son, person of the Holy Spirit, all equally God. Some of us find ourselves at times praying Father, and that ought to be the normal expression when we pray. At times we talk directly to Jesus, no problem there, because Jesus always takes us to the Father. And sometimes when we pray, we might start praying to the Holy Spirit. You don't have to correct yourself. There's no problem praying to the Holy Spirit. The Scripture says you can sing to the Spirit, you can pray to the Spirit. He's not a, a tag-along. You're, you're, you're fine. Go ahead. You're not going to pray to the Spirit without coming to Jesus who will lead you to the Father. Let's not get caught up in semantics in our prayer lives. Equally God. Third, He's the indwelling divine person. When you receive Christ, who comes and lives inside of you? The Holy Spirit does. Christ still has a body, and he's still at the right hand of God. But when you receive Christ, you're receiving Christ by virtue of receiving the Holy Spirit. You are indwelt by the Spirit of God. It's by his Spirit that testifies to our spirit that we are children of God, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. You cannot be a Christian without having the Holy Spirit. It's impossible. So he's the indwelling divine person. Four, he's the invisible indwelling divine person. When you're x-rayed after becoming a Christian, you don't have a second set of of bones inside of you. Um, Yeah, Christ is living in you by the Holy Spirit, but he's invisible. Jesus said the Holy Spirit is like the wind. You see the results of the wind, but you don't see the wind itself. You see the leaves flapping uh, and so forth, the evidence, but you don't see him. The Spirit of God is utterly invisible. But he lives within us. But he manifests himself in any number of ways, even though he himself is invisible. Number five, the Holy Spirit is a loving spirit. This is so critical to understand this. Perfect love drives out fear. It is impossible to yield your life to the Holy Spirit if you are inappropriately afraid of the Holy Spirit. What God wants you to know is that His Holy Spirit loves you. Where do you get that in the Scripture? Romans 5, 5. Hope does not disappoint because God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. 
There it is. When God's Spirit is poured out into our hearts, so is simultaneously the love of God. Some of us have love issues. Some of us need healing to trust anyone. We've been wounded, we've been jaded, whatever. The answer is the Holy Spirit. He wants to fill you because he wants to love you. You do not need to be inappropriately afraid of what the Holy Spirit's going to do when you yield to him. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. When he fills you, he will fill you with his love. Number six. The Holy Spirit is a praying spirit. It says Ephesians 6, 18, pray in the spirit. Romans chapter 8, verse 26 says, the Spirit himself prays for us with groans too deep for words. There you have it. He's a praying spirit. His prayer life will take over your prayer life. There isn't anyone in this room who would say, I have a perfect prayer life. All of us would agree we need help with our prayer life. That's what the Holy Spirit is for. He pours out the love into our hearts and he teaches us to pray. Finally, number seven. One, two, three, four, five, six. All have to do with describing the Holy Spirit. Seven tells us what the Holy Spirit does. Number seven, the primary function of the Holy Spirit is to make Christ known to us and through us. It says at the end of John 15, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit and he says, he will glorify me. Then in John 16, a few verses later, it says, he will take what is mine and make it known to you. So the the ultimate evidence of someone being filled with the Holy Spirit is having an overwhelming, infectious love for Jesus Christ. A growing pursuit of Christ. Are you with me? Now, this is personal, but it's also missional. The primary work of the Holy Spirit is to make Christ known to you and through you. Now, if he doesn't make himself known to you, how's he going to make himself known through you? So it always starts with, with you knowing Jesus better. That's what the Holy Spirit does. One of the great Bible teachers, F.B. Meyer, said that the Holy Spirit is like a shaft of light that shines on the face of Jesus Christ. So that as in a picture, you're not aware of the light or the source of the light, but of the face that that light reveals. I love that. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He 
draws unique, exquisite attention to Christ. Hallelujah. To you and through you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. You see, there it is. That's the through you part. When the Holy Spirit through you will make Christ known. Hallelujah. No, church, today is our day to say we will be a proven community. My life group will be a proven life group. My Sunday school class, my children's ministry, the Envision ministry, we're here to prove it by the grace of God. We're here to prove it. I, got, I want to tell you a quick story about a man I led to Christ a number of years ago. His name was Joe, and we'll just leave it at that. But I gave him the name Joe the Greaser. He, he totally looked like the Fonz, if you remember that television show. I mean, he slicked his hair back, and he was from New York and was loud, but he, he came hobbling in, and he shared that previous, he had, at a dark moment, taken a pistol, put the barrel to the roof of his mouth, and pulled the trigger and blew some of his brains out the top of his skull all over the room. True story. And he came and he received Christ. He walked with a limp as a result of losing part of his brain. He walked with a limp. I baptized him in a lake. Now, okay, so picture this with me. I lowered Joe down, and he, he, he only really could move one leg. Well, with that leg, he kind of sprung out, and Joe shot. Now, you could not see three inches in that water. And I lost Joe. <laughs> now, just like this sanctuary has a slope to it, there was a slow, a slow slope to the bottom of this lake, so I was out 100 yards. I couldn't yell for help. And I'm praying here. I'm going, Lord, surely... You didn't let him succeed at trying to kill himself. Don't let me succeed at his baptism. I mean, I was already reading uh, the Miami Herald paper the next day. Pastor kills a guy trying to baptize him. I mean, imagine the fallout from this. I, I, was, I was like overwhelmed, but I acted cool. I, I, I said, Lord, help the boy, help the boy. I'm looking around for jumps, kind of shuffling. Oh, Lord, I got to find him. So I stumble on him, pick him up, and he's going. Hallelujah, we didn't kill him that day. 
But follow me. That next Sunday, Joe is sitting right here. I don't know why we put tissues in the best seat of the house. Right there. And next to him, he has a camera and a tape recorder. After the service, they said, hey, Joe the greaser, what are you doing with that? He says, Pastor, God always meets me in church, and when God shows up, I want to record it. However God breaks out, I want to take a picture of it. I want to get a recording of it. This was before everything's on one of these, okay? This goes back. And I thought to myself, Lord, make us all like Joe the Greaser. Make us all so hungry to encounter you, so expectant to record proof that there's a God that comes to church here where we meet, yeah. that I'm going to have something to take a picture of or record it on my recording device. That's what the Holy Spirit is for. Hallelujah. I don't want this scripture here in Acts 2.33 to be the only time these words are fulfilled. I promise you, Jesus is still at the right hand of God the Father. The Father is still giving him the Holy Spirit, and he's still pouring out that same Holy Spirit on his church, and he wants to prove it. He wants to prove it. Now, I, I know that the issue with the Holy Spirit is not ultimately a doctrinal issue. I laid out plenty of scripture to convince you that he's a person, that he's the divine person, that he's the indwelling divine person, the invisible indwelling divine person who loves you, who will teach you to pray, and who will exalt Christ to you and through you. I've given you the scripture this morning, but the issue is not do you believe it, the issue is will you receive it? We don't need anything short in this moment of impartation and activation. Impartation and activation. We've been praying for this moment. You don't have to wait a week to celebrate Pentecost Sunday. Today's your day. In a moment, I'm going to extend an invitation for you to give and receive. To give God your body. Control to your life, spirit, soul, and body. To give control. And to receive the promise of his control over you, in you, through you. We as a people have, have cultivated a culture of submission to Christ. This, that, that only gets you so far, submission. God wants there this morning to be transmission. He wants to transmit to you the empowerment of his Holy Spirit. It starts with submission. But don't just come to turn your life over. 
come to receive the impartation of his fullness so that from this moment forward, your life will be under the control of the Holy Spirit. Are you with me this morning? This is a time for activation. It's a time of transmission. It's a time of impartation. Would you stand with me, please? Holy Spirit, come now and steward this moment. Only you can impart your presence. And we pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, your Son, that you graciously would come and meet us this morning. Lord, do it individually, yes, but do it corporately. Lord, we want to be a prove-it congregation. We're not going to change our name, at least not today, but Lord, we want any around to be able to take us for a test drive and to say, yep, you're right, God is among you. Yeah. We don't want there to be skimpy evidence. We want, there, we want to be able to marshal obvious, conspicuous evidence. We want anyone to say what you see and hear in this place is what you are, would see and hear in heaven. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, Jesus, pour out, pour out, pour out, pour out, pour out, pour out. Impart this morning. Your Holy Spirit, come. Come, steward this moment. Activate, activate faith. Heal our receptors. Hallelujah, hallelujah. As we stand before the Lord right now, uh, you might be uh, 89 years old. You might be nine years old. It doesn't matter your age. All that matters is your hunger. If you want the fullness of Christ, I'm going to invite you to come this morning to relinquish control, and to receive the influence of the Holy Spirit. Paul wrote to the Ephesians, don't be drunk with wine, that is, don't be under the influence of alcohol, but be filled with the Spirit, that is, to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. If that's your heart this morning, to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to invite you to come right now and to be filled, to be filled, to be filled, to be filled, to be filled. Would you come? Come right now. From the back, start coming. In the middle section, make your way out. I invite you to come. You're hungry for the Lord. This is your moment. Let the Lord impart to you this morning. You can receive anywhere. You can go home and receive, but I'm inviting you to come. There is something about coming. There's something about responding to the Lord. If you're coming among the first, press all the way up to the, to the front row there. Come, come put your toes right up against the riser. Make room for others. Fill in. Let's meet the Lord. Let's come before Him. Let's sing as we pray and receive. You come. <laughs>